Our text for today, from the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark, beginning in the second verse, tells us that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a high mountain by themselves. For a bit of context, the the eighth chapter is a series of miracles that Jesus performed. Jesus is, through his actions, letting people know that he is much more than a carpenter's son who has become a teacher, preacher, or prophet. The people coming into direct contact with Jesus, such as the deaf man giving, given his hearing by Jesus' touch, the 4,000 fed with a miraculous multiplication of bread, the blind man given sight by Jesus' hand, These and others like them know through their experiences that Jesus is much more than a regular man. Now moving from these experiences, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain. Let me quickly point out something that we see in that list. Peter is named first. Peter is named first every time the various New Testament writers list the disciples later to become apostles. It is a small internal indicator that Peter was the leader of the disciples and apostles right behind Jesus. Returning to the gospel, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. When did Jesus bring them up the mountain? After six days. After six days. The days of the miracles are not numbered when we're reading them up until now. We just have the sequence of events. We have the stories being presented of Jesus performing those miracles. His restoring the created. The miracles of recreation to what they were supposed to be according to the creation of God. Then Mark In a seeming throwaway comment, but remember there's never a detail in the Bible simply by accident. In that seeming throwaway but important comment, when you're paying attention, Mark says, after six days. After six days? Why six days? Jesus has been restoring creation. Those acts of recreation for six days just as the recorded acts of creation in Genesis lasted for six days. We see something new is about to dawn. The Venerable Bede, priest, monk, and prolific writer of the early 700s, he wants to make sure that you understand how incredible this event is. And his description of the event says that our Savior, when transfigured, did not lose the substance of real flesh, but showed forth the glory of his own resurrection. For such as he then appeared to the apostles, he will, after the judgment, appear to all his elect. We have that newness being displayed. Jesus begins to shine in his glory. Mark goes on to say that Jesus' clothes got so bright that they shined in a way that no launderer, our translation says no one, but Mark actually refers to a professional launderer, no launderer on earth could make them white. The modern use of the term bleach is simply a way of expressing what Mark said, 
make them white. In some earlier translations of the Bible, the verse is written, and Jesus' garments became glistening, exceedingly white, so as no fuller, no laundryman on earth could whiten them. For those who have been around for a few days, you may remember the little trick of using, or maybe you still use, laundry bluing. The adding of a bluing solution to the rinse cycle and having your whites come out of the wash much brighter than they'd be without it. Likewise, those who are familiar with showing animals at the fair know that the best thing to do before the show is to shampoo a white-haired animals, the sheep, the goats, and others, with a bluing solution shampoo. And when you're done, the white hair will shine so brightly that it will hurt your eyes when out in the sun or under the show lights. These little tricks of making things whiter than they appear is what, why Mark says to his reader, this is no laundry trick. This is not bleach. This is not bluing. It is not anything that anybody, not even the professionals, can accomplish. Jesus is radiant, and Jesus' clothing are radiant because of the power of God. Peter, James, and John all see the power and the glory of God shining through the earthly body of Jesus. And we will see the same in the day of the resurrection. The disciples now are seeing with their very own eyes the reality that Jesus is God, showing forth his glory. Before coming up the mountain, there were people who, seeing the miracles Jesus performed, thought that Jesus might be the prophet Elijah. Some even began to say that he was the prophet Elijah, returned to earth, and this is why Jesus had the power to heal. Simultaneously, there were those, especially among the Pharisees and Sadducees, that criticized Jesus as a lawbreaker. Jesus ate and drank with the wrong people. Jesus healed the sick on the Sabbath. Jesus allowed his disciples to eat with ceremonially unwashed hands. Those who opposed Jesus protested that there was no way that Jesus is of God, for he breaks the law of Moses, and Moses would testify against him if only Moses were here today. Returning to the mountaintop, Jesus is shining so brightly, a dazzling brighter than the sun can shine, and the disciples are seeing the power and glory of God made visible in the person of Jesus, and then, all of a sudden, two other men appear. Elijah the prophet, the one some people think Jesus is, and Moses, the lawgiver, the one some people think will rebuke Jesus. And all three of them talk. They interact with each other before the sight of the disciples. We can imagine the conversation, the law and the prophets finally seeing what they had predicted in one way or another. Moses, you have fulfilled every law your father gave me for the people. Elijah, I knew you would come. You are who I told the people about. Moses and Elijah together, you are the one, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You have fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Then the voice from heaven booms into the ears 
of the disciples. This is my son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah disappear and Jesus lead, leads the disciples back down the mountain. Disciples who now know without any doubt that Jesus is the Messiah and the law and the prophets are in no way equal to him, but are his servants. Now, here we are today, our second Sunday of Lent, almost 2,000 years later, and we ask ourselves, well, okay, what does this passage have for me in my Lenten fast? Let me remind you that our fasts are disciplines, the removal of distractions for the sake of enhancing our faith. I will also mention that there are many people within Christianity today that obsess over the law. Some of these are people who insist on subject, subjecting themselves to the law of Moses, gave to the Israelites, as if that will make them Christians plus. But in reality, it is demonstrating a lack of understanding that which was made clear on the Mount of Transfiguration, that Jesus is the ultimate law, and as a result, their pursuit of the Old Covenant law, they make themselves Christian minus. More so than those who seek misguidingly to obey the Old Covenant law are those who have, within the church, created new laws to follow. This is not restricted to one denomination or another. Every slice of Christianity across the spectrum has its own internal rules to follow. Some of these may be fine, pious expressions of devotion, but the moment they distract you from following Jesus, then they are of no value and actually hurt your growth in faith. The voice of heaven, the command of God the Father is, This is my Son. Listen to him. Like those who are law-obsessed, there are today untold number of Christians that are fascinated by what they believe to be prophecy. Most often, this is about the so-called end times, properly known as eschatology. You have these well-intended Christians counting days and looking for signs of Jesus' return at every headline that makes the news. There are others that engage in a practice of claiming prophetic voice for our current day and predict certain things, typically related to governments around the world, that are supposedly messages from God. These people are busy chasing shadows while they think they are serving the Father. But the voice of heaven... The command of God says, This is my son, listen to him. You see, the message that was given to the disciples that day, that the law and the prophecies have been fulfilled, and that our single focus must be doing as Jesus tells us to do, is as much in need today as it was nearly 2,000 years ago. We must free ourselves from the distractions we must listen to the voice from heaven, the command of God the Father, who says, This is my Son, listen to Him. Now, no matter what the subject of your Lenten fast, use this time of removing distractions from our lives as an opportunity to learn how to better listen to the voice of Jesus in your life. Amen.